Welcome to Hearing the Music. We have another bonus episode for you. This time, we bring you our interview with Bach scholar Marcel Switzer. Marcel is a longtime friend of David's who had plenty to tell us about Bach's Bible and some aspects of the St. John Passion. We called Marcel from our studio and reached him at his home in the Netherlands. Enjoy the interview. In the person of Bach, it's a rather unique uh, um, intersection of theological knowledge and musical mastery and uh, what, what, what one could perceive as a matter of the heart for Bach himself. Would you agree? Um, that is that we feel, that is what we hear when we hear the music, but when we look for real evidence, for that, then uh, we unfortunately do not have much that points in this particular direction. We do not have any quote from a letter uh, by him, for instance, that, uh, that points in that direction. Um, fortunately, we have a study Bible. And uh, in the study Bible, we first of all find out that Bach was someone who studied the Bible um, very carefully and uh, must have put quite an amount of time in it. And there we find some underlinings of passages in the Bible from which we actually can conclude that he was indeed um, theologically very well informed and it meant a lot to him personally as well, yes. Yeah, so can you talk a little bit about your own work with uh, with Bach's Bible? I mean, when when was that actually discovered? Fairly recently, no? Um, no, not so much. Yeah, it was it was discovered in the thirties. We talk about um, three volumes, huge volumes that um, are basically a Bible commentary. So it is the complete Bible text, but each text, or sometimes even each single word in a text, is commented by uh, a theologian called Abraham Karloff, and uh, Karloff mostly copied passages from the work of Martin Luther, but in case there was no comment by Martin Luther on a particular verse, he wrote the comments himself. Um, they have belonged to Baxter Library, um, they were sold after his death, and they had several owners uh, after that. And one of the owners took the three volumes with him to the United States when he went uh, for missionary work to the States. And it was in a farmhouse in the 30s that these volumes actually were discovered, and uh, someone uh, looked in on the, the on the first page and found the um, initials of Bach on the on the bottom of the page, and he was actually alarmed because he just had read an article uh, written by a musicologist on these three volumes that uh, must have been there, and he immediately realized that he actually had this very book in his hands, and that is how it all started. Um, there has been an idea to bring this, what we call the Bach Bible, to Germany, but, well, it was, we are talking about 1935, so that was the time of, of the Nazis. So they decided not to bring the Bible to Nazi Germany. Um, finally, it ended up in the library of uh, Concordia Seminary, where it is still today. Um, but very recently, it has been entirely photographed for an 
um, Faximile edition that is published here in the Netherlands. And um, that is available for about a year now. So that is uh, when you talk about the, the research project and the, the Faximile production. Yes, that is very recent. That's great. And you have uh, you've studied it yourself. Yeah. I, I own a copy and, and, and I've studied it. Yes. Hmm. Wonderful. So um, are there particular passages that stand out to you in terms of, uh, of, of how Bach may have interacted with that particular set of uh, books? Um, yeah, well, um, we have some passages that, well, let, there are some remarks when it comes to the music in the temple, and that is something that we tend to connect to his own profession, of course, being a cantor in the, uh, the two main churches in Leipzig and uh, the appreciation that is there for um, the, the temple musicians on the one hand, and particularly that uh, the divine presence is descending on the temple almost as a reaction of, on the music, um, must have been very close to his heart. This is something that we find in the, one of those remarks that he wrote in the margins, that uh, this has strongly appealed to him. Um, he was very much fascinated by numbers um, for whatever reason, and sometimes that has to do with, um, um, I, I cannot so recall a good example right now, but that's clear that he has a fascination for numbers. Um, and also the biblical ge geography, for instance, is something so, so very factual, I would say. Um, but other things have to do with dealing with particular emotions, um, uh, anger particularly, because mm. uh, the working situation in Leipzig turned out not to be as um, um, good as they actually presented it to him when he um, uh, auditioned for the job. And there has been a lot of anger on his part for well, probably he has been betrayed in one way or another. And he had to deal with that. And uh, you can find that uh, reflected in passages on um, how to deal with anger in in a Christian way, put it that way. Hmm. Uh, any thoughts about St. John Passion in particular? Is that, is that a piece you've interacted with much? Um, yeah, of course, because, you know, um, I live in the country that is probably the most crazy about uh, Bach passions in general, because there is um, normally, uh, uh, under normal circumstances, uh, an enormous amount of performances of those pieces here in the country uh, that, is, that is overwhelming, really. So uh, it is very music that's very much alive here and um of course and due to that i have to deal with these pieces regularly and the saint matthew of the sorry the saint john passion is a piece that is his first attempt as far as we know to write a piece like this and he has been working on it his entire life we have four different versions of the uh, work the first one is written in his first season in Leipzig and the final one, which is more or less a restoration of the first one, 
after the second and the third version um, has been compiled a year before his death. So it, it is a piece that has accompanied him actually for his entire tenure in, in, in Leipzig. It is a piece in which you can hear that Bach at the one hand connects to the opera-like style of his contemporaries like Telemann when it comes to composing uh, a passion. In former times, it was actually normal to write a passion in very, very sober terms. Um, basically, it is Lent period, so you, you, you don't compose very elaborate music for uh, for such a period. Uh, you can hear that in the Passions by uh, Schutz, for instance, that is um, very, very uh, sober music. Um, but in Bach's time, it became more um, custom to treat the gospel text actually as a kind of opera. And uh, it was like normal in his time, or uh, uh, I would say um, a fashion in his time, uh, to stay away from the literal biblical text and to use libretti that emphasize Christ's suffering and particularly the physical suffering. What is particularly interesting in the St. John Passion is that Bach, at the one hand, takes these famous verses by um, Brockes over, but there has been some um, editor at work who actually made the text less violent, less explicit when it comes to the injuries of Christ. And Bach makes the choice to take the gospel account from John as um, the main part of the text. And in that sense, he is, I would not say old-fashioned, but at least traditional. And so it, the, the, the fascinating aspect of the piece is that it is a mixture of the respect and the awe for the traditional gospel text and it is contemporary in that sense that it uses these uh, verses by Brockes, but then at the same time, it reduces the amount of, of physical violent details in favor of a deeper spiritual content. That's the way I would like to describe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good, very good. Well, thank you so much, Marcel. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. We want to thank Marcel for joining us. He gave us plenty to think about. If you want to hear more episodes of Hearing the Music, including bonus content like this, visit us online at hearingthemusic.org. <laughs>